So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspiration. It's been produced here in our Come and See studio here in Adda. And it's the 8th of December. It's the second Sunday in Advent. My name is Jan Keeley. Thanks again for joining us this morning. Help me to present the programme again this morning. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks a lot for joining us, Shane. And I've got two lovely ladies joining me in studio here. We'll, we'll be joining Shane, actually, in a chat in part two. Uh, both of them Salesian sisters, Sister, Sister Betty Baker. Good morning, Sister. Good morning, Sean, John. And also Sister Sarah O'Rourke. Good morning, Sister Sarah. Good morning, John. Thanks a lot for joining us. So Sister Sarah and Betty will be having a chat with Shane in part two. But in the meantime, we want to especially welcome those listeners who are housebound. Those people are lonely and struggling in some way today. Thanks again for your support, your support in terms of prayer each week. And also as we meet you around Newcastle West and surrounding areas. We also thank you indeed for the text that you send in. Just to remind people again of the text, it's 087 6088 That's 87 or you can contact us by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, our programme at this stage, uh, listeners would be would be aware, uh, is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 local radio at 10am and 11pm each Sunday, and is available for playback and download on various um, various uh, spots around the internet. Shane, we've got a few of them these days. Can you just remind us all again? Sure. So for anyone that is into their podcasts, we're available on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, um, iTunes, and Stitcher, and Listen Heart Readers. So we're, we're on a few places, so you can find us. We're on most of the major uh, podcast hosting um, platforms. Thanks a lot for that, Shane. So again, just to remind people again, in part two, uh, Shane will be speaking with Sister Betty Baker and Sister Sarah O'Rourke. Uh, I'll leave that to part two for Shane and uh, the sisters. And in part three, of course, we will, as usual, read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. Uh, In the meantime, Shane, have you got some saints for the week you want to share with us this week? Yeah, so our liturgical odds and ends for this week. So as we said at the top of the programme, today is the 8th of December and it is the second Sunday of Advent. And we're starting into the second week of Advent. Now, for those of you that are scratching your head and saying, I know something about why is the 8th of December ringing that? Yeah, you're right. Normally, the 8th of December is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. But because it is the second Sunday of Advent, which outranks all other feasts and solemnities, the Immaculate Conception is moved to tomorrow, which is the 9th of December. And because the feast is moved, it's no longer a holy day of obligation in Ireland. But it would be no harm if you crossed the door of the chapel uh, if you wanted to see Mass tomorrow. So obviously, <clears throat> tomorrow in Ireland, well everywhere, is the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It still ranks as a solemnity and of course celebrates Mary's conception, her own conception in the womb of her mother Anne. And it was proclaimed and dogged by Pius XII in 1950 during the Mar- at the close of the Marian year. No, I have that one wrong. That was the assumption. Magna Conception was by the other fella back in, uh, by Leo the 13th. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. So then on Tuesday, the 10th of December, we have the feast day of Our Lady of Loreto. And this year is the first year that it is a feast day elevated and celebrated by the Universal Church because Pope Francis announced that on the 31st of October. The House of Loreto is one of the biggest Marian shrines in Italy and by tradition hosts 
the house that is supposedly where Mary grew up and where she received the angel Gabriel and conceived Jesus in her womb. It is held as a symbol and a reminder of the gift of the incarnation, which is the reason that the Pope has elevated to a universal feast, and it is one of the favorite uh, Marian shrines of the Popes, presumably because it's in Italy. Um, so that's we celebrate on the 10th of December. Then on the 11th of December, we have a papal celebration. It's St. Damasus I, born around 304, martyr, uh, sorry, <clears throat> died in 384. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> uh, he is very much associated, I suppose, with defending the foundations of the See of Rome as an apostolic succession. But I suppose for us on the program, I suppose more of interest is he's the man that commissioned St. Jerome to write the Vulgate version mm. of the Bible. So that's the version of the Bible that was used for the, by the Catholic Church for pretty much 18 to 1900 years um then on thursday we have the feast day of our lady of guadalupe so that's under her title of guadalupe the apparition in mexico on uh tepeyek hill i think is how you pronounce it in 1531 to, to, to juan diego uh our lady of guadalupe she is the patroness of the americas is very popular devotion particularly in south and central america very much associated with the hispanic communities and of course the interesting thing about it is the basilica of guadalupe at guadalupe still holds the tilma of one uh juan diego from the apparition what happened was um, she appeared to him on the site, asked for a church to be built. He asked for a sign, and when he went to the bishop and opened his tilma, uh, rose petals that he had gathered from the site fell on the floor. But more miraculously still, there was an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe kept on the tilma. And the tilma, the cloak that Juan Diego wore, is still held in the Basilica in uh, in Mexico. Uh, Pope Francis, of course, visited it, visited the shrine on one of his papal trips, and uh, recently enough. <clears throat> then on the 13th, Friday the 13th, looking for some and looking for others, it's the feast day of St. Lucy. Lucy of Syracuse, one of the great virgin martyrs of the church, one of the few women mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer. Uh, devotion it goes back to 304 AD, one of the Diocletian martyrs, and is generally associated with holding her own eyes because that was how she was killed uh, they were pulled out and she was basically it's the same story she rejected the husband the pagan husband that was put up for her they didn't appreciate they killed her off because she refused to do it so that's the story of Lucy Virgin and Martyr on the 13th of December then finally on Saturday the 14th of December we have the feast day of Saint John of the Cross a great Carmelite saint, mystic, co-founder, re-founder of the Order of the Discalced Carmelites with St. Teresa of Avila. Mystic of the church, uh, was imprisoned by his own confreres for trying to lead the reform. Um, a great person in terms of prayer and poetry. And some of his poems are the earliest examples of the particular types of Spanish that he spoke. So it's a big feast day for um, the Carmelites, of the Discalced Carmelites, on, on, on Saturday. So that's what we have, John, in terms of the saints for this week. Thanks a lot for that, Sean. Okay, just two, two, uh, two um, notices there. One in regard to Advent Talks in the Abbey, that's in Glenstall. So they continue again today. Um, actually, starting at 3 p.m. today, there's actually prior to the talk, there's a school carol service that'll be held at 3 p.m. in the Abbey Church. All are welcome to attend. Uh, and then come to the talk afterwards, which has been held in the library. 
at 4.30. And the talk today will be given by Father Luke McNamara, a good friend of the programme. And he will be speaking about discovering our roots, Jesus' family tree. So again, the school carol service, well worth attending. I was there last year myself. It's a beautiful, be- a beautiful afternoon. And also um, the talk by Father Luke in the library and a cup of tea afterwards. And again, of course, you can stay on then uh, to join them uh, for Sunday Vespers in the Abbey Church at 6pm if you wish. Our West Limit 102 local radio are holding a grand variety uh, Christmas concert in the Long Court Hotel on Wednesday the 11th and next Wednesday at 8pm. Admission is €15, uh, and this goes to support your local radio. Doors open at 7.30, and spot prizes are available. So now we go for our first bit of music. Yeah, go on. We go for our music, just Uh, a clarification. So uh, the teaching on the Immaculate Conception was proclamated by Pius IX in 1854 after the First Vatican Council. I got my pups mixed up there when we were going through it earlier. I'll let you off this time because, you know, ah, you're a this week. Well you're done, well good. done, well done, pal. Okay, so now before we go for our first bit of music, uh, today we might uh, change. We, we usually have a, spi- a spiritual communion fra- a prayer for those who can't receive Jesus in Mass this morning. But as we've got two sillies and sisters here, it might be no bad idea to have a vocation prayer. So Sister Betty will invite you to pray this spirit. Uh, sorry, this vocation prayer, please. Thank you. Prayer for vocations. Almighty God, You have called us through baptism to discipleship with your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have sent us to bring good news of salvation to all peoples. We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve him in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity and faith, and that they may receive support, encouragement and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in the wider parish community. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Sister Betty. So now we go for our first bit of music, a popular one on the programme here. It's Okomakom Emmanuel, and this morning it's by the (coughs) Piano Guys. So let's hear this.
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Embler at the end of the Skype line. And as I said, Sister Betty Baker and Sister Sarah O'Rourke have joined us here, uh, members of the Salesian Order. Uh, um, and they come here because Shane's got a few things he wants to chat about with them, uh, most, of, most of which is surrounded by a, a, a big celebration they've got happening this year, Shane. Do you want to start off with yeah. that? So a couple of weeks ago, people might remember, we had Father Dan Carl on from the Salesian Fathers. And they were coming to the end of their centenary year of their arrival in Ireland. And as it happens, um, the good... Also, uh, starting their celebrations. Isn't that the case, Sarah? That's correct, uh, Shane. And ye have been very busy kind of uh, rattling through the attics and through the archives, trying to figure out what was happening 100 years ago, I understand. And you had the delightful task of pulling something together to kind of mark the occasion. That's true, but I suppose we were fortunate in that Sister Noelle Costello in the 1980s had begun researching some of this herself. And thankfully, she recorded... Uh, past pupil Lizzie Nolan and we've got a fair amount of information from her memories and she also interviewed one of the pioneers of the group who arrived in 1920. Oh really? Oh wow. So in terms of I suppose so what you're looking at is the the the, the Salesian sisters or what is your proper title Sarah your official title? Daughters of Mary Help of Christians but we're known as the Salesian sisters. As the Salesian sisters. So how or where or why did the Salesian sisters end up in Limerick? Well in Ireland and actually ended up in Limerick. Well in Limerick it's very easy to put it together because there was a connection with Don Bosco and a cleric from the Limerick Diocese Dennis okay. Hallinan was in Rome studying to be a priest, but as a cleric, he actually met Don Bosco. And Lizzie Nolan, whom I've referred to already, one of the first pupils of the Salesian Sisters in Ireland, she tells it in her own way, and I'll just quote from what she says. He, Dennis Hallinan, was in Rome. He wasn't even ordained at the time. He was only a cleric. He heard about the Salesian Order and he said he'd go up to see about it. So he went up, and who did he meet but Don Bosco? And Don Bosco says, You're Dennis Hallinan from Limerick. And that's what happened. Dennis wanted to stay with Don Bosco, it said, but Don Bosco said to him, No, go back, and you'll do more for me by returning to Ireland. So Dennis (coughs) Hallinan did return to Ireland, worked in the diocese. He made efforts to try and bring the Salesians to Limerick, but he failed because Bishop O'Dwyer would have no more, wouldn't hear about it. And when Bishop O'Dwyer died in 1917, it was Dennis Hallinan who replaced him as bishop. So he Uh found himself in a position to provide the opening for the Salesians to work in Limerick. I see. That was that was that was that worked out well for Don Bosco and the team. It certainly did. So that so he was made bishop in in 19, 1917 after nineteen eighteen. Nineteen eighteen. Yes. That was after Edward O'Dwyer. That's correct. The man Edward O'Dwyer uh, was the man that commit, that gave out to Maxwell in nineteen sixteen. But in terms of. Um, 
So what what happens then? Like, so he asked the Salishians to send send the the, the the fathers, or he went to the sisters first, or which way did it work out? Well, basically, at the time there were some. I we've to look to the English province at this time, and some of the Irish Salishians in England were anxious to come to Ireland, and. When the rector major of the Salesians visited England in 1913, he actually spoke to one of the Irish Salesians, Father Sutherland, and asked him to have a look about going to Ireland. Now, Father Sutherland himself had no intention of coming to Ireland because he wanted to go to South America. But he remembered Father Alvarez's wishes and he decided to look into it, etc., etc., and there was a bit of toing and froing and because of the war and all that type of thing going on. But eventually, with the assistance of his own brother, who was a, land, a lawyer for the Land Commission, they eventually secured the purchase of Copswood out in Palace Kenry. But as he was working towards the pur- purchase of Copswood, he also took an interest in working towards a foundation for the Salesian Sisters And this paved the way to make it possible for the Salesian sisters who were living in England to extend their work across the Irish Sea. And even though at the time we had three Irish sisters in England, uh, one sister, Margaret Fitzgerald from Wexford, was the first person to enter in 1912. And then we had two sisters from the north of Ireland, Sister Mary Keane and Sister Mary Rehill. But None of the three of those came in the first four pioneers. The first four pioneers actually were three Italians and an English sister who was born of Irish parents. So it was a daunting enterprise for, in a sense, four foreigners, three Italians and one English, some with limited knowledge of the language and little training. The aftermath of World War One. And they were facing into the heart of a city caught up in the throes of the national struggle for independence. And here they were coming to take on a challenging mission of education among some of the poorest and deprived in the city of Limerick at that time. That's uh, that's quite an entry into the uh, into an Irish context, because of course it came right Absolutely. in the middle of the War of Independence yes. and then straight into the Civil War. Yes. Um, so for for hardy pioneers, we can definitely say. Yes. So I suppose where did they set up shop, and I suppose what was I suppose what was their first and primary focus, and how did it go for them? I suppose um, there was difficulty in getting a property for them, so they moved into Saint Isis in Trama Street, which was leased by the diocese at the time. And their first mission there was to establish a night class for the factory girls. So that was, you know, straight into education. And then, uh, of course, that very much links in, I suppose, with, if you like, the overall um, Salesian charism um, in terms of trying to, uh, to for, for in terms of education and working with young people. Absolutely. And as well as that, some of the girls who worked in businesses used to go for classes in embroidery and sewing and that type of thing. And we have a connection. Deborah Geraghty in Cahardavon, so well known for her um, efforts to 
promote liturgy and projects re- regarding liturgy and handiwork in Cahar Devon, her aunt actually went as one of those students for, um, when she was working in town. Ah, so yeah. connections, connections within connections. Absolutely, yes. So in terms of then, that was kind of night classes and, and if you like, vocational training. I suppose, when or what, what was the next steps or did, did they move into um, actual formal education? And as well as that, I suppose, then what way was it going in terms of no, vocations and women entering the order? Well, basically, then there was another community founded within months of arriving in uh, St. Itis, Richmond House. And here again, it was education was key, but it uh, ended up, say, subjects like music classes and, say, sewing, embroidery, that type of domestic economy uh, type of subjects. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the sisters were not permitted to establish formal education classes because of the need at the time was seen to be fulfilled by other religious in the city. They must have found that a bit tough. Well, I suppose they were happy enough to be in Limerick and they knew that maybe they would progress slowly and eventually they would have formal education centres. So... um... I suppose, what would have been the next, if you like, the next big kind of step or event from a kind of the from a, the chain, the history chain? I suppose uh, uh, the foundation of Fernbank in 1924. But even though they uh, had moved to Fernbank and had a private school there, uh, it wasn't until 1937 that uh, Fernbank was granted status by the Department of Education. So things do move slowly. Oh, very slowly. Sorry, slow. 1947. I'm confusing my dates there. For- 47? Yes. My God, they yes. came in 1920. They got it in 1924. Yeah, the wheels of bureaucracy definitely they, move they, slowly. They move slowly, yes, indeed. Very slowly. So I suppose over the years, Fern back then, it was, a, it was a primary school and a secondary school? That's correct. So I'm going to throw a random question at you, Sarah. Do you have any idea how many students you had before the school was closed? I wouldn't have a notion of that. But I suppose maybe even linking back to um, one of the pupils, one of the first pupils in the, in the school in, 19, for, in the 1940s, Anne Windrum, who later became a teacher in Cahar Davin School. She has a connection as well in that the War of Independence, as we've already said, you know, that's what the sisters faced into. And the one week in July 1921, there was a lot of fighting going on. And Father Sutherland, who was always very considerate of the sisters, was concerned for their safety. And he... Uh, ensured that they were taken out to a place near Palace Kenry called Dremore Castle and the solutions provided for the sisters in uh, Dremore Castle at the time. Now, Anne Windrum's grandmother actually got shot during that week and she died as a result of her injuries in St John's Hospital. And it's just maybe, it brings it more, I suppose, to life to see what the sisters actually how brave and courageous they were and 
at one stage they even wondered if they'd be able to continue because of the political disturbances mm. and it was really courage and they had deep faith in that um, they had come here for a reason. Uh, and at this stage, I suppose, um, how many sisters, I suppose, are we talking about? And are they Irish or it's still the pioneers or where where are they from? Uh, we're talking at about seven at this particular stage because three more would have come in the November. And one of those was an Irish sister, Sister Mary Keane. But the other two were Italian. OK, so the, the Italian connection was still, very, was still very quite strong. strong. Yes. And at this stage, just, um, I suppose, at this stage, obviously, Don Bosco is dead. What about your own foundress? Has she died at this stage? She has. She had actually right. died before Don Bosco. She died in 1881. Ah, OK, OK. So in terms of, um, I suppose, for, so we're up to 1947-ish, uh, when formal recognition is granted by the Department of Education. So I suppose from there, what way did the Ministry for the Salesian Sisters develop in, in Limerick and in Ireland? Well, I suppose uh, we moved maybe into schools in other areas, particularly in Dublin. A number of sisters would have gone on the missions. And I think it's interesting to note that when the sisters were um, coming to Ireland, the thinking behind it for, say, the leadership team in Rome was that uh, we would get English-speaking vocations, particularly for the missions in China. Okay. So the missionary thrust was important from the beginning as well. There was a big focus on China, of course, at that time, because you had the the Columbans were founded at that stage to go to the Far East, and the Kiltegans had a strong interest in it as well. Um, So the idea of generate English-speaking vocations for for the missions. In terms of... um, so it, it it was still school... Was it formal schools in Dublin, or was it more vocational training again? In Dublin, it was going into schools that were, um, I suppose, parish schools more than our own schools. Okay. As teachers, support, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. So in terms of, um, so I presume then kind of the focus for the congregation kind of, you know, in the, in the 60s, 50s and 60s was still very much through the schooling system. So people would have had their experience of the sisters mainly in the classroom. Yes, in Ireland. Oh, why? What else? Would, oh, well, well no, in, in other places, maybe the education was seen more in youth centres and things like that. Okay. Yeah. But in Ireland, the, while the youth centres are what we used to call oratories or clubs was very, very important, many people would remember the sisters from the classroom. From the classroom. Now, you mentioned that there was a hope to go for the missions. Did that actually materialise? Did Irish sisters go on the missions? And if so, which countries? They went to various countries, particularly um, South Africa. Okay. And was are, is there a connection still with Zambia? Yes, there is indeed. And some of the V-Days, the volunteers, still continue to go there. Okay. Um <laughs> In terms of, I suppose, coming up then towards the, you know, the 1980s and 1990s, I suppose what the, the, the congregation, was it ever a very big congregation in Ireland or has it always kind of faced challenges in terms of vocations? Well, at the moment we have 64 sisters in Ireland. We sure. would have, I suppose, had about over 100 maybe 20 years ago. 
And in terms of like, uh, you know, obviously the congregation is a little bit smaller, so you're not going to have the same type of coverage in terms of schools. Uh, what types of ministries is are the sisters involved in kind of today? I suppose people see their ministry nowadays more of as a presence in communities, parish communities. We're still involved in education. Some sisters are still teaching in school. Some are in chaplaincies. Various aspects of spirituality work is still continuing. Okay. Um, now, just Sarah, we, we just might, in terms of just go through the history, we might just leave it there for a moment. So, Betty, um, you're you're celebrating. Obviously, you're marking this centenary this year. So, I'm presuming. Uh, maybe there's a couple of occasions that might be coming up in terms of just events throughout the year. Yes, uh, in actual fact, we're beginning one of them today, the 8th of December, and it's a combined celebration between ourselves and the Salesian Fathers. Uh, They are ending their centenary celebrations today and we're commencing ours with a ceremony, uh, a Eucharist in Milford Church, Our Lady Help of Christians Church, at three o'clock. Okay. And... That's the combined celebration uh, just to mark the occasion, the ending, the ending of one and the beginning of the other. That's a nice touch to it, I have to say. So then um, I know Sarah has been very busy delving through the archives and the fruits of her labour are due to be published sometime in 2020. That's right. Sarah and Noel have been working very hard on that particular uh, time of history. And we will have a launch of that uh, publication on the 28th of February. And it's going to be held in um, St. Ita's House, which, we now, which is now Hall Eda, Conran, Nguelga and Thomas Street. And it's, it's very significant for us to be returning to the house that the sisters first lived in. And we've got a great welcome from um, the people in Conran, Nguelga, where we'll be launching the history on that evening. And then in terms of, I suppose, um, you know, you, the community has lived in different places throughout mm-hmm. Ireland. Um, are, are you going to reconnect with old neighbours or what, what's the plan? Yes, we have reconnected in some ways already because we have a centenary group in place uh, for the past 18 months. And uh, we have drawn people from some of the places we already have been in and some of the places where we are no longer. So, for example, uh, in a place where we were in Brosnan, a very beautiful place near Bar in County Offaly, uh, we're having a reunion there for past pupils uh, towards the end of March. And we're also in Cahir Khan. Um, you mentioned earlier with Sarah about the Columbans, and the Columbans lived in Cahir Khan before us. So, uh, but Cahir Khan closed a number of years ago. But there's a reunion happening there the end of May. So and it's local uh, past pupils from those two areas who are actually organising those events, which we're actually looking forward to very much. And catch up and see what they've what they've become. They've they've become um, absolutely. Now, in terms of kind of May and June, is renting lined up for the calendars next year? Yeah, in actual fact, on the twenty fourth of May, which is the feast of Mary, Happy of Christians. Uh, we're having a family day in Cahardavon. Now, in Cahardavon, we have a primary school and we also have a house and uh, the church is actually quite near uh, both. And we're having a family day in that particular area with mass beginning at 12 o'clock. Uh, we'll have food and activities between two and four. And at five o'clock, we're having a concert in the parish church. So we hope that that will be a great afternoon of activities and reunion for, for families. And we're delighted particularly to have it in Cahardavon 
because we've lived there for many years and have lots of community connections there. So it, it'll be a good community event as well. Now, in terms of, I suppose, going back to the, if it, well, not so much the mother house, but the main house, the Fern Bank, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything planned to mark the, uh, mark the occasion? Well, now, that'll be among one of the local events. They haven't finally decided on it, but in the month of June, there will be an official uh, ceremony to close Fernbank House because uh, we're actually leaving that house. It has already been sold and to mark the occasion, there will be a ceremony there. The details, which aren't worked out yet, but uh, we'll be inviting back friends and uh, past members and, and so on to celebrate that occasion. That will be in June. But before we have that one, actually in June, in middle of June, we're having a centenary Camino Um and that will retrace the footsteps of the sisters' early years in Limerick. We'll be beginning at Conor na and Thomas Street and then we'll go to St Michael's Church, which were, was their parish church at the time where the sisters worshipped. And moving on then to Richmond House, which will be on the South Circular Road and then over to Fernbank. And um, Sarah has been working on that and she approximates, even though it's only four stops, uh, It'll take about an hour and a half to two hours. So we hope that that will be a good local event as well. Okay. Mm. Um, Now, in terms of, um, I suppose, reconnecting, if you like, with... um your your the, the congregation's roots in Turin. You're planning to pay a visit to Turin in the autumn. Yes, we're hoping to have a pilgrimage to Turin in September. Um, probably a five-night um, trip uh, that will combine some uh, visiting of significant places like Turin and the birthplace of Mary Mazzarello, and um, have a bit of a some diversion as well. So. Yes, we're looking forward to that. The details aren't worked out because we're still waiting for costs for January, but uh, that will happen in September. And just in terms of that, in terms of the pilgrimage, I presume that's open to, you know, past pupils and associates. And it is, you know. but it'll be a limited number. We think of about fifty. Okay. So it'll be first come, first served when it comes to that stage. Well, now that's fair enough. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. And then I suppose in November, uh, obviously, it's to connect with the sisters that have um, that have died and passed on. You're having a little ceremony in November as well. We have a, a ceremony of remembrance of our deceased sisters in November, and that's taking place in Cahardavon. And uh, maybe at this stage, it's just um, significant to remind ourselves, Sister Bridget Kennedy, who many people will know, uh, originally from... Um, Kildaimo, I think, uh, passed away yesterday very peacefully and we want to remember her too at this time. And um, then the end of that month as well, we are moving towards the end of the centenary. So we're having a closure with an event in the Radisson Hotel to which we'll invite uh, staffs and co-workers and friends and so on. And we'll have an afternoon of celebration uh, there uh, to close the centenary year. And um, I'd just like to mention as well that uh, currently at print, we have our centenary commemorative calendar and that will be distributed uh, today to some places and then next week. And at the end of um, 2020, we'll have our centenary commemorative book uh, for distribution as well. Um, Now... I suppose centenary is very much um, looking back and remembering roots and where 
you know where the congregation has been and its successes and achievements uh, in in its 100 years. But I suppose, Sarah and Betty, one of the other questions I suppose we ask the Salesian fathers is: it's also a time to look forward. And I suppose one of the questions would be: where does the congregation see itself, either in Ireland or more globally, in terms of its in terms of going forward and carrying forward that that particular Salesian charism, but also the Salesian charism as interpreted by Mary Mazzarella. Well, I suppose the Salesian charism is something that, well, my own conviction is that we carry it as individuals. Mm-hmm. It's it's a charism that's alive within each one of us. So wherever we are or whatever we're doing, um, that it lives on in us. It lives on in me. And that that passes on, particularly, I think, in our ethos, which is really around how we relate with people and how we connect with people. Um, I suppose we have entered a very different time in in Ireland and and in Western Europe as well. And um, works that we would have begun very formally, I suppose, come to a conclusion and the change. And we have to be aware of what are the significant signs that are around us and what are the needs that we can respond to? And a lot of those needs, I think, today are around um, trying to to accompany people and be with people as a search for a spirituality to live through maybe a difficult time for us, particularly in Ireland, where it is difficult to um, to actually profess our faith publicly. And uh, there is that whole dimension to it. So I think the emphasis is more on kind of an accompaniment and a spiritual accompaniment, being with people, uh, being good neighbours, being good volunteers and working alongside people who've taken on responsibility in their own places. Okay, well, that's that's. I tell you this much: that's 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 a that's a, a manifesto of of hard work, if nothing else. Uh, continuing a great tradition that the the sisters have had in Limerick over a centenary at this stage, I suppose, it's a hundred years. Um, now, Betty, in terms of if people are listening this morning that might have had connections with the sisters over the years and want to find out when things are on, because there's a lot of there was a lot of things there, a lot of dates we mentioned, and just to see what's going on or, or local events that might be organised that maybe mightn't be organised as of today. Where can they find out more information? Yes, uh, we have a website uh, net, and we also have a Facebook page for this particular year, Salesian Sisters 100 Years in Ireland and uh, these two places will be particularly updated after today. Okay. Uh, so people will be able to find more information in those sources. So that, 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 that Facebook page again is Salesian Sisters. Sisters Water- 100 Years in Ireland. In Ireland. Okay. And the, the website is your is your national website. Yes. And okay. regarding the Facebook, we would love people to engage with it and, and to feed it mm. uh, with uh, maybe memories and photographs and so on. Uh, just well, no, keep it could, alive could, for the year. That could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep away from the dangerous part. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, so John, to conclude this part of the programme, I understand that there is a piece of music lined up. There is. Sister Sister Sarah um, chose one from one of the CDs she has here. Sister Sarah, would you like to introduce that for it's us? It's a hymn to St Mary Mazzarello, who was the co-foundress with Don Bosco of the Salesian Sisters. And this is entitled... To St Mary Mazzarello.
welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose and the Sky Plan and uh, Sarah Sarah and Betty who join me here, two, two solution sisters here in the studio. Thanks a lot uh, for, for sharing that wonderful story with us. I'm sure people out there, uh, there's many of them who would have been maybe um, at school with you over the years and maybe met you over the years. Glad to hear that story. Thanks so much. But however, this is the most important part of the programme where we read and reflect in the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. And before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. And I'll pray that this morning. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your Word. Send your Spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, the Gospel for today. I will invite Sarah to read the Gospel for us, please. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. In due course, John the Baptist appeared. He preached in the wilderness of Judea, and this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. This was the man the prophet Isaiah spoke of when he said, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord, make his path straight. This man John wore a garment made of camel hair with a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole Jordan district made their way to him, And as they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, they confessed their sins. But when he saw a number of Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to fly from the retribution that is coming? But if you are repentant, produce the appropriate fruit. And do not presume to tell yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. Because, I tell you, God can raise children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees, so that any tree which fails to produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown on the fire. I baptise you in water for repentance. But the one who follows me is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn in a fire that will never go out. 
Thanks for that, Sister Vera. Sorry, Sister Sarah. So that's the Gospel for the second Sunday in Advent, taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Now, this morning, uh, Betty, you've got a few prayers for the faithful, a few prayers around that particular scripture this morning. That's right. Thanks. So these prayers are for the second Sunday of Advent. God of life abundant, may your Advent call to life and love, hope and conversion, Touch us again and draw us closer to you. John the Baptist came to bear witness to Jesus. We bring to mind and pray for those who have borne witness to us of the good news of the gospel that God loves us. A friend, a parent, a teacher, a neighbour, a stranger. May they be blessed. John appeared in the Gospel as one who had the courage to be himself in the face of opposition. He knew his own value and was content with his mission to prepare a way for Jesus. May we have courage and conviction when faced with opposition, criticism or indifference. John was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, announcing confidently that we must not despair because God's grace will be with us every moment. God, keep us open to receive this grace. We pray for ourselves and for those who feel lost in the wilderness of life at this time. May we all hear voices of hope calling us to courage, endurance and contentment. We are called today to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed us. We pray that we will be able to accept this difficult challenge to overcome our indifference to people we don't like. We ask you, God, to open our hearts to all. Loving God, you hold out to us the hope of reconciliation and new life. In this time of Advent, open our hearts to receive your gifts of wisdom and courage and so lead us more deeply into your own life. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Sister Betty. So that nearly brings us to the end of the programme. Um, thanks a lot indeed, uh, Sister Sarah and Sister Betty, for joining us this morning. Maybe just one little question myself. Maybe there's uh, a young lady out there who, who just listened to, to some of the story, and in particular, maybe the last few comments you made there, Sister Betty, in regard to where you see solutions going from now on. What would you say to a young lady out there who's thinking, maybe I might give these guys a go? in terms of a vocation to solutions? I would just ask them to think about it and give it some thought. Mm. And if they need to talk to somebody to sort out what they're thinking about, that they would do so, maybe make contact with some Salesian sister that they actually know. Thanks for that. Sister Sarah, do you want to add something to that? I would say that sometimes people can be hesitant and think they have to be 100% sure of something and I think God can be asking, never asks, are we completely sure, but are we willing? Perfect. 
Yes, thank you very much indeed, Sister Sister Sarah and Sister Betty for joining us. And again, Shane, thanks a lot for, for sharing the programme again with us this morning. Okie doke. So, the final piece of music, Sister Sarah, you've chosen another one from that particular album you got for us. It's Now is the Best Time to Rekindle the, the Fire. fire. Very good, beautiful choice. And, and and again, is that from a Salesian CD that you've got there, is it? Yes, the music and lyrics were composed by a Salesian sister in Australia, Sister Rochelle Lamb. Yeah, we played some of it last week. So until next week, thank you very much indeed. Well, Shane, I believe you organised uh, to chat with Bishop Brendan next week? Yes, so next week's programme, the plan is all well providing everything lines up, is we will have a catch-up with Bishop Brinton, kind of his review of 2019 from the point of view of, obviously, as Bishop of Limerick. So we're hoping to talk to him about different things, including the rollout of the pastoral plans in the unit, in the units, pastoral units in the diocese, any the highlights of the year, the visit to Rome for the canonization of John Henry Newman. Uh, he, has, he, he met Pope Francis earlier in the year, and also a couple of things about vocations and kind of where things are going in terms of the diocese for the next foreseeable future. Thanks for that, Shane. So next week from, um, from Shane, from Sister Betty, Sister Sarah and myself, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye-bye.